I want to live in a world where um, people take care of their body with the food they eat and they don't need medication. So I, I would like to be able to say that I have no business. I no longer need to teach them. Welcome to the Plant-Based Entrepreneur Show with your host, Jerry Saber. Hello and welcome to episode 29 of the Plant-Based Entrepreneur Show. My name is Jerry Saver and this is the podcast for you if you're looking for inspiration and ideas on how to get started or if you want to learn more about the skills to run a successful plant-based business. Now, before we do this, I have to give you a bit of a warning about today's episode. It may contain some strong words, so if you're listening to this in a car with small kids or something, you might want to save it for later and just use headphones to be on the safe side. You see, my guest today, Molly Patrick, she owns a site called Clean Food Dirty Girl. And I believe one of the things that her audience just loves about her is her sometimes colorful language. And her mission statement is to take the boring out of healthy and the preachy out of vegan. And I think she's doing quite good at it. So today we'll be talking about her unique approach to building a personal brand online and the journey that took her here. So Molly... Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Jerry. I'm really excited to be here and really excited to do this podcast. So thanks for um, for having me. Oh, thank you for joining me all the way from Hawaii, right? Mm-hmm. Yep, all the way from the big island. We're having a beautiful rainy day here today. Um, but yes, from, from paradise, I'm sitting. So, And thank you for giving me a heads up about that language. That, um, that will help. Thank okay, you. yeah, you know, I mean, that's, <laughs> I, I think that is kind of, like your trademark, so I don't want you to be holding back or anything. I mean, we're we're not going to make it a swear fest or anything. I just want people to to know what what they'll be listening to. Yeah, and I don't try to insert it. It just happens from time to time, and I try not to edit myself too much. So that's the yeah, deal. No, that, that's good. <laughs> just just be yourself. All right. Speaking of which, who are you? You know, I I like to start just by giving people a good idea of who they're listening to. So who's Molly Patrick in a nutshell? Hmm. That's always such a hard question, isn't it? Because we're all such complex uh, beings with so many quirks and facets to all of us. Um, But I think, you know, if I had to answer that question, there's a few kind of key things that have been consistent with who I am, you know, because I think that we all change as we learn and we grow. But I think in my core, in my being, I'm empathetic and compassionate by nature and very nurturing, I think, too. And I am somebody who has decided to build a business instead of a family because I'm really, really passionate about what I do. And so my mom always tells me, you know, it's a good thing that you didn't have kids because you have a lot of people to take care of. <laughs> and so my life is is in a lot of ways my business and a lot of ways my business is my life. So I've I'm somebody who's really dedicated to what I'm doing and you know the the fact is we live in a country and a world it's very physically sick and there's a lot of people who need help with the food they eat and so that's what really drives me and excites me and fills me with joy really is to help people change how they eat and and to educate people for people to understand that they have control over their health because so many people don't realize that they think that their doctor knows best and that if they just 
eat the same way and just take these pills and that's just kind of how it's done. So I'm somebody who's, you know, decided to put, to make my life's mission to be a small part of changing that. Yeah. I mean, I, I totally agree with you on, on that one, because just like you said, the, um, the issue of health is something that most people don't, I mean, it's, it's hard to understand really for, I guess for, for you and me, because we are so much aware of it, but I think that for so many people, it's just something that's out of their control. Health is just something yeah. that, that happens to them. Absolutely. Yes. And prevention isn't something that's ingrained in our society. We're not taught how to prevent illness and disease. We're just made to follow this system that deals with illnesses and disease when they come up. And so it's not people's fault that they don't know better because we don't live in a society that teaches people any better. You know, and that's a big problem and that really needs to change. And I think, you know, at this point, it has to be an organic thing from the bottom up because we don't have a government who is really looking out for that. So we're not going to have really great policies put into place that's going to help school lunches and educate kids and educate parents how to, you know, cook healthy for their kids. So it's great that you have this podcast bringing together people who have made this kind of their life's work because it's. It's taken me a long time to get to the point where I can do this and have, you know, and do nothing else. It took me a long time to get profitable. And we'll talk about that, I'm sure, later. But um, it's a job that needs to be done because nobody else is doing it, you know, as far as the, the government officials go. And one of the reasons for this podcast was also to show people the many different ways that they can help with this change. Because even though we focus a lot on large companies and startups, there's mm -hmm. also a lot of room for, for solopreneurs and for personal brands who are just doing this from the ground up, just like you are. It's, I mean, there's so, there, there's so much room for people to even get in this space and it's needed. I mean, look, just go outside and, and look around, you know, and you're going to see one in three people are obese in the United States. Yeah. You know, half of people have either prediabetes or, or have type 2 diabetes. The amount of childhood obesity and, and kids getting type 2 diabetes. I mean, we, we all have a lot of work to do. <laughs> Absolutely. How did you get to this point? Like where and when did you decide that you were going to make this your life's mission? I think I was just destined for this. I think it's kind of been something that was seeded from a very, very young age. My mom raised me vegetarian. I've been vegan, technically vegan since 2008, but pretty much vegetarian and almost vegan my entire life. Fortunately, I was raised by a mom and a dad who were very clued up with um, eating healthy and, mm -hmm. and having a healthy lifestyle. So I kind of learned about health through diet from the time I could walk and talk and eat and help my mom in the kitchen. So it's kind of been ingrained in me from the get-go. I was always on this path, I think, from the very beginning. And it took me a little while, you know, like all of us, we go, we have little, we get sidetracked and try other things. But ultimately, this is what I was meant to do, I think, from the beginning. And I just had to have a few uh, big life lessons before I came back to this path. But it was always there. Do you mind sharing a couple of those life lessons? I mean, I, I love hearing what exactly got you to this point. Well, I've always enjoyed eating healthy. I've always enjoyed cooking healthy for people. And um, I, I worked at like uh, health food stores from the time I could work legally. 
I always felt like this was sort of my path, doing something with healthy food. I wasn't sure exactly what it was. But then when I was a teenager, I thought, you know, that's just the obvious choice. That's just too easy. We don't know really, right? <laughs> when we're like 17 or 18, we have no idea. So in my mind, I was thinking, well, it shouldn't be this easy. It should be more challenging. And, you know, looking back, I know now that that's completely the opposite. If it's easy, if it's good, then that usually means you're on the right path. But I, like a lot of people, had to, you know, kind of make it harder for myself. I think that's one thing that everybody does is if it's not, if it doesn't suck, if it's not hard, if it's not, you know, a, a pain in the ass, then then it's not working. So I decided to pursue photography, which was something that I did enjoy. Um, and I thought, well, that's what I'm going to do. And so I did. I went to art school and I majored in photography, which was great. And there, I learned a lot from that. I wanted to be a fashion photographer and moved to New York. And I, it I'm not cut out for that whatsoever because I'm not competitive. I'm not bitchy. I'm not trying to win. I don't have that in me. So I thought, okay, that's definitely not it. So I kind of took a couple of years just, and I took different jobs and I was just kind of exploring, you know, what, what, what is it? What is it? And so I kind of went back to cooking and I thought, okay, I'm, I'm going to start cooking for people and being a personal chef because, and it just kind of happened organically that was, I was kind of onto something and I enjoyed doing it. So I was helping people eat better, but I was actually going into their kitchen and doing the cooking for them. And I enjoyed it, but I ultimately, I knew that I wanted customers from all over the world. I wanted to help people all over the world. And I didn't want to just help people in my zip code. And I also knew that I wanted to be able to do this from anywhere, to work from anywhere. So I knew that ultimately it would have to be something more online. And it wasn't like me actually chopping onions. Maybe it was me teaching people how to chop onions instead. Um, so I, I knew that that eventually, but I didn't have really a background in online stuff. Um, and it took me a lot of years to actually get, get to that point where I dove into that. And until then, I opened a couple of restaurants, which were, you know, vegan restaurants in the Bay Area and in Austin, Texas. And that was a great learning curve. It was amazing. I learned a ton from that. And I learned that I did not want to be in the restaurant business at all. You just don't have any sort of life when you do that. But it was a great experience. And then after the restaurant thing was over... I made the decision to do something online. And even then, I, did, I still didn't really know what I was going to do. People have this idea that when you see somebody who has an online presence, they knew like, okay, this is what I'm going to do. And then this is how I'm going to get there. And that's how I'm going to do it. And it's not always that clear cut. I was still making it up as I went along for a long time in my business. <laughs> Sorry to skip back, but are any of those restaurants still around just to see if, if anyone wants to visit? Yeah, so there's um, one is a food truck in Austin, Texas called Arlo's, and I'm not sure who owns it now, but I know that it does very well. The restaurant in Berkeley, California that I opened, it went to different owners and it closed, I think, like two, I think two years ago. Um, and there was a couple in Arizona that have shut. So so the one in Austin is doing well, but the rest aren't, aren't open anymore. So then you were saying that actually when you started this out, you, you didn't really have a clear vision of how you would promote this way of eating. It wasn't clean food, dirty girl right from the start. It wasn't. I was bold vegan from the beginning. And what I started out doing was I wrote a couple of cookbooks that I self-published. Now, I wasn't great at it. They weren't great cookbooks because I 
didn't have experience uh, writing recipes for cookbooks. You know, I had experience writing recipes for kitchens. <laughs> but, you know, to be honest, I didn't really care. I just thought, you know, I'm just going to do the best that I can. And I had photography skills for when I went to school. So I thought I'm going to put together a couple of cookbooks and, and just start with that and just see where that goes. I knew that that wasn't the end goal or, or kind of what it was going to be, but I didn't really know where else to start. I should have started a blog because that's what everybody told me. <laughs> and I knew that writing cookbooks would and self-publishing them because I, I was kind of a, a nobody. I And I wasn't experienced at writing recipes in that in that way. Um, I knew that like a book deal was like way out of the question at that point. So I just started with what I could do at that particular time. So I, I self-published those two books and then had um, a website that you could order those on and then a blog that I didn't didn't keep up frequently. It wasn't until 2014 did I do this full time and then I really changed my brand and changed my name and changed my focus. But for a, a the good you know, couple of years in the beginning, that's, it was Bold Vegan and I wasn't quite sure what I was doing, but I knew I had to start somewhere. How did you get into this new brand that obviously is a lot more aligned with who you actually are and, mm, and your message. Yeah. How, how did the whole rebranding process go? One of the, the things that I, I knew from the beginning was that I wanted to be very inclusive because from what I had experienced being working in the, the vegan community, just in the restaurants, I knew that from what I experienced, sometimes vegans could be a little bit judgmental of people who weren't totally vegan yet, but who were interested in learning about it. And I knew that I wanted to be really inclusive of everybody who is trying to eat better, regardless of their current diet. So I wasn't sure, but you know, in the beginning, I was just kind of afraid to put that out there because I also would see just from different blogs. And, and I, I knew that it could be kind of brutal for people who weren't like 100% diligent and really like kind of staunch about it. And so I wasn't really comfortable saying, Hey, you know what? I don't give a shit if you're vegan or not try this recipe. It's really yummy. And so it took me a couple of years to kind of build that up and say, you know what? Okay. I'm to the point now where I don't really care what people think about me. I'm just going to put who I am out there. And I had to come to the to be okay with the fact that I'm not for everybody. And that's okay. And so there were going to be people who liked me and there are going to be people who didn't like me. And, and I had to get to the point where I was fine with that. But ultimately, I knew that I had to get comfortable with just being myself and putting myself out there. And so that's what kind of changed. Yeah, I think that's the biggest lesson for, for anyone wanting to do something well, anything, but especially doing something online is they, they need to learn this, that there is no way that you're ever going to be pleasing everyone. And with, with an online business, the feedback is so much more immediate and especially with social media and, well, website comments, sometimes they can be filled with trolls or sometimes you just have the vegan community which just like you said can occasionally be a bit strong in their judgments so yeah anyone wanting to do this should really take this lesson to heart you can't please 
everybody, regardless of what it is you're doing, whether that's a business or, or in your own family or with your, your, your work or with relationships. And just the very best thing to do is do what makes you happy, do what's authentic to you and feels natural to you. And then kind of try to get to that point of not giving a shit what any what anybody thinks, because people are going to have an opinion one way or the other. So they may as well have an opinion about you for something that you really believe in instead of uh, something, a facade that you're putting on because you think it's what people wants to hear. Because there's nothing worse for people saying, man, you suck. And you're like, oh, but that's not really me, you know, and, and so you may as well just, you know, hear that you suck and you say, well, I take it. That's the best that I have. And that's who I am. So if you think I suck, then go find somebody else. You know, there's plenty of people out there. And, and you know, I, I think that the, it, it can't, there, people can be in, incredibly unkind and especially in the online world because they can be anonymous and it, it, you know, but, but honestly, I mean, I've gotten a lot of uh, hate mail and, and, you know, not happy uh, tweets and, and emails certainly, but those kind of things, you just have to see past it and realize that if somebody's unhappy with me, it's all about them. It's not about me. Exactly. Their shit. <laughs> and what, what were they were they unhappy about you oh, attracting well, non-vegans as well? or People are unhappy that I'm not vegan enough. I'm too vegan or I, people are unhappy that I'm gay and I'm not afraid to say that I'm gay. People are unhappy that, I mean, just you name it, people are going to be unhappy. And so, but I think that the comment that I get most often is mainly about my language. And it comes from people saying, you know, you could be a lot bigger. You could be a lot more mainstream. And a lot pe- a lot more people would know who you are if you didn't cuss. And I'm thinking, yeah, maybe that's true. But I guess if, if your goal is to be huge and you're really concentrating and just looking at the numbers, maybe that's true. But I've ne- that's never been really my yardstick for how successful I am. Yeah. And, you know, the reason I asked this was just to to illustrate the point that there's always going to be reasons for people not to be happy with you and i I think you nailed it with with saying you know some people thought that you weren't vegan enough and some people thought that you were too vegan so well it's interesting because my business partner and is is my my girlfriend and her name is luann and she does all of the website stuff and technical stuff and backend geeky stuff. And then I do all the the content and the recipes and meal plans and all this, but she's from Malaysia. She eats anything. And if anybody knows a Malaysian, you know that they'll literally eat anything and she's not vegan. She has eaten, she's been eating a lot better for in the nine years that we've been together. And she eats a lot better than she did and a lot more plant-based than she did, but she's not vegan. And when we first kind of started this together, she was like, you know, what's going to happen when people find out that part of this team isn't even vegan? Who gives a shit what they think? Who cares? And that was kind of part of our decision to just, let's just do us and be who we are. I always write in my blogs, I'm always very transparent. Um, When I travel, I don't always follow a 100% vegan diet because sometimes you're, there's not that option or you're at somebody's house and they offer, you know, they offer you this fish that they caught and cooked and everything else. And I'm not going to be that asshole who's like, "Mm, no, I don't eat that. You know, so I'm much more flexible when I travel. And I'm the first to say that. But especially those posts get a lot of hate from the vegan community. And I hear a lot of feedback from that. But again, you know, you can't please everybody. So no point in trying. Yeah. And I I remember when we were in Malaysia a couple of years ago, I, I think we mostly ended up eating fruit and rice because everything else was just, you know, you, you can't really trust them not to put 
fish sauce in it or, or something you're like that. You're going to. I mean, and when you travel, it's a whole different thing. You know, when you're in your own house, your own routine, I am not just vegan, but I eat specifically whole food, plant-based, you know, whole plant foods. I don't eat, you know, processed foods. There'll be occasional like chocolate or whatever. But, you know, when I'm at home, I'm really diligent with that just because that's how it feels best for me to eat, just because that's how I like to eat. But you can't stick to your same routine when you're all the way across the world. So you got to be, be able to be a little bit flexible. Exactly. Yeah. Now, we, we, we covered the people that weren't happy with you, but what I'd really like to know is about the people that follow you. Like, what's your fan base like and what, what defines the people and, and attracts them to you? So our base of, of biggest fans and also um, customers are probably 40 years old to about 75 years old. And we didn't realize that at the when we first started this, we thought it would be a younger kind of crowd, but it turned out that it's not. And I think what, what happens is if you aren't paying attention to what you put in your body, when you're around 50, that's when things kind of start to look shaky with your health. That's when the doctor's like, okay, you got to get your blood pressure down. You got to get your cholesterol down. You got to start making some changes. And for most people, that's when they start to make a change to their diet. When their doctor says, okay, it's time or else you're going to have to go on medication. And that's when people like get to the computer and start typing, you know, searching for something besides medication if they don't want to go that route. And so that's when people find me. So most of the people who I, I want to say 90%, that, that number is straight out of my ass, but I'm going to say around 90% of the people are people who are just trying to get their cholesterol down and to maybe incorporate more plant-based foods, but not necessarily go all the way vegan. But I will say that most people, once they start with me, they will end up going all the way plant-based without the intention of really doing it just because the more you do this and you learn and you feel good, the more you want to do it. So People who are really just looking to eat a little bit healthier are the people who, who usually find me. Yeah. About that colorful language, how, how much of a role does that play in, in attracting your tribe? I think the people who get me and who like me just fucking love it. They love it. And, and it's how they talk. And they find it really refreshing to find somebody who just talks like a human and, and is not really super polished and perfect and, you know, this like size two perfect person eating a, you know, salad leaf and painting this picture that everything is fucking perfect because life is messy and it's hard and it sucks and it's painful. That's just part of it. And I think that not enough people kind of talk about that stuff. And for me, you know, our business and what I bring to the table isn't just the food, but it's also just talking about real life shit that may or may not be pretty. Mm -hmm. And so I think that that's mainly what, what draws people to me because everybody can relate to that and, and not enough people are talking about things that suck and things that are hard and things that are scary and kind of how do you keep functioning when those things hit and don't totally fly off the handle and, and eat you know, like shit for three months straight and dig yourself into this, this food coma. It's not just the language, but it's kind of the, the narrative as well. Yeah. And, and I think I, you, you touched on a really important point here as well. And well, you actually started touching on it before and now you touched on it again, which is the fact that the internet and social media are full of people who are extremely polished mm. and there's also stories of you know how a lot of them aren't like that at all in real life mm. and i think that's one of the reasons why 
simply being authentic in, in this way and showing the bad stuff and talking about shitty situations can yeah. be so attractive because it's, it brings a whole new level of personality into the brand. Yeah. And I think for, for people who start their brand out with like everything's lovely and then they have to kind of keep up with that, it's a lot of pressure to like to be perfect. And, and, and guess what? Nobody is fucking perfect. Nobody is because we're human. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so, you, you, you know, it's like people who set this precedent of having that brand and, and having this message that everything is fine. It's a tremendous amount of stress to put yourself under and it's unrealistic for anybody to do. Um, and, and so I think that you're right. I mean, it is, again, going back to being authentic when you're authentic and when you're honest, you don't have to try to live up to something. You can just live your life and not worry about it. <laughs> yeah. And probably comes from, from the fact that social media itself is all about presenting that nice polished image of you, even if you're not making the personality brand, even if it's your, just your own personal Facebook profile. People tend yeah. to put up the good stuff and they tend to hide the bad stuff away. Yeah, no, it's true. It's about their comfort zone, right? Because that really isn't even about anybody else and, and who they're trying to impress. That's about trying to impress themselves. And so with that, you have to look and say, okay, well, why aren't you okay with that flaw? Or why aren't you okay with putting up that picture without doing some kind of thing to the picture to make you, your skin look, you know, totally flawless? And I think that as a society, we need to embrace our flaws and our imperfections because that's the good stuff. Yeah. That's the beautiful things that make us so unique and individual and quirky and fabulous. And that's the stuff that's the stuff that people can relate to. So I think that this is even like part of a much bigger conversation, even, you know, of of let's just like try to be more authentic with who we are on a day to day basis and even with ourselves and be able to look at those flaws and love ourselves for them and respect them and, and cherish them because it's what it's, it's, it's you know, that's who makes us that's we're made up of those things yeah and you see when you build your personal brand on that then i think you can really attract those people who are going to resonate 100 percent with you yeah because it's refreshing it's refreshing to see that it gives you a much stronger client customer audience base than if you were just doing some sort of polished abstract image of who you think you should be Absolutely. And that's like Alicia Keys. She recently decided, you know what, fuck it. I'm not going to wear makeup anymore. And I'm just going to go with my face how it is. And good for her. We need more people like that in the world who are able to just be who they are and not have this image that's like impossible to reach. So yes, absolutely. Yeah. Now, <laughs> if, if we're talking audience and, and customer base, can we go into numbers just a little bit for, for people sure. who may not know you? So sure. what what's your audience like in terms of followers or, or subscribers how how is it defined and where so i started out with three myself luann and my mom <laughs> my mom is a fan from the beginning and we've grown it and that was in two, that was in january 2014 so at this point i haven't looked even at our emailing list in a couple of months. Last time I checked, it was about 13,100 and something ish. Um, so it's around, it's, it's maybe not quite 14,000 yet, but it's probably pushing that. So that's, that's, we send out a Saturday email to that many people that's on our email list. And then we have our public Facebook group that has, I think, a little bit over 10,000 people. And then our private Facebook group, which is an amazing group of people 
uh, we have about uh, close to 12,000 people in that group. I'm not sure. Are those the same people who are in your public Facebook group or how big is the overlap? I, I have never tried to figure that out and I don't pay much attention to my public Facebook group. I just, I use that to post my blog once a week that I publish. And besides that, I don't really do anything with my public group mm -hmm. or my public page, I guess. Um, that's kind of ignored because I do 99% uh, of stuff in that private group. I don't know the overlap. So now this has been going on since 2014 because I think I saw on your Facebook page that you actually set it up in 2012. The public page, I think we started in 2012 when it was Bold Vegan. Mm -hmm. And then when oh, yeah. we ran it over to Clean Food Dirty Girl, we changed it. So that public page has been there since 2012. Um, 2014 is when I started my email uh, list and my public, my private page. Facebook page. We only started, I believe it was 2015, I want to say. So it was only a couple of years ago. And you said you don't really put that much effort into your public page, but what have you seen happening in, in terms of, you know, the content that people react to or the content that gets shared more? And have you seen anything that just kind of started losing value in effect? Because I think I think that's one of the biggest issues that people who are trying to build a brand have with Facebook, especially that their algorithm is constantly changing about what they like and think that should be shared. Yeah, I think before we started the private group, I paid more attention to that. And I did notice that, I don't know when it was, but it was a few years back that we were getting pretty good engagement. And then all of a sudden it just like stopped because the algorithm's were changed and we didn't really want to put that much energy into figuring it out because Facebook is constantly changing. So that's one of the reasons why it was really important for us to, to build our email list because that's something that we can control and, and, you know, you know, our email provider isn't going to change anything. Like we're in, we have that, we own that list. We're in control of that. So Facebook for us had always been just like a little thing that we had and not, we never really used it as a, a marketing tool or anything else. We just kind of had it up there as a place for people to find us. So, um, but we hardly get any engagement on that page. I mean, I think we'll get a couple of comments or a couple of shares and the stuff that does get shared is always the more like personal quirky random stuff you know that's more that kind of shows who I am like a like a dorky picture that I'll put up of myself like that always gets the most so our, our private Facebook group that's like a community mm -hmm. I know people's birthdays and when people are getting married and I know like I, I know like that group really feels it almost feels like a family so that's it's a much different like having a private Facebook group is a much different experience than having like a public page yeah, I, I think that Facebook groups and, well, private Facebook groups, they do have a lot of unexplored potential. That That's one. Mm -hmm. And the other thing which is really important that you mentioned is the importance of, of the email list. Because I know that in especially recent years and with the rise of Facebook and Instagram and Twitter to some extent, there's always been this talk that email is on the way out. I'm a big believer in, in keeping the email list alive. Yeah, me too. No, that's that has been probably single-handedly how we've grown our business. We haven't spent any money on ads, marketing, or really anything. I mean, our business, we grew our business from word of mouth and through that email list. 
one thing that was a key factor in doing so was being extremely consistent and choosing, you know, one day of the week and one time to send an email and doing that, even when there was, you know, a hundred people on that list, we were going to do that. And being very, very consistent, um, I believe was one of the really key factors in, in, in people finding us because when you find a brand or something that you kind of like and you sign up and then you hear from them just very sporadically. And also it depends on what you're emailing, right? That's a whole nother conversation, like what the content that actually goes out in those emails um, and, and whether or not that's going to be effective for you. But being very consistent with that is, is key. And I, I agree with you. I think that it's so important to have a list and to nurture that list. And, and most importantly, like respect the people, the people on that list, respect their time and respect their inbox. Yeah. You know, Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and all these things can be fantastic, but at any point they can change at any point, you know, you're, they could start to get paid or they can charge or like the algorithms can change or they so can disappear, just, you know, or like they can disappear fine. and then your whole thing is like gone. So it's so important to go that list. I don't think that that, that will be going anywhere. I don't think that is going yeah. anywhere. I think it's really, really important. Your email list and your newsletter is pretty well defined in when it's going to be coming. Yeah. And somewhat well-defined in what's it going to contain because it's called Saturday fuckeries, if I remember correctly, yes, right? Yes, my Saturday fuckery. Yeah, and that we didn't, we didn't plan that at all. I don't even remember how that happened, but that was one of those kind of organic things that just kind of grew into. But it's my Saturday fuckery, and it's going to come every single Saturday at 9 a.m., come hell or high water. Um, I've sent out since... January 2014 every single Saturday. And when I first started it out, I was like, I'm not a writer. I never thought I could write. I thought I was really shitty at writing. I cannot spell for the life of me. I'm a, I'm a terrible speller. My grammar is shite. Um, I was like, what am I? I don't have any business writing to people. And what I found out is, well, if you do something every single week uh, on a consistent basis, what do you know? You get better. <laughs> and you got to start where you're at, you know? I, I always want it to be interesting and I never want to take advantage of people's time and I never want to sell, 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 sell. And so for me, what you're going to get in my emails is something that's going to be useful or insightful or funny and also a new recipe. There's always a new recipe in my emails as well. One new recipe. So that was very important to keep that kind of format and to um, really have those lay out those principles from the beginning. And I've, I've stuck with that. Yeah. And now, now that you're speaking about selling, how did you approach that? And um, at, at what point actually did you start seriously monetizing your brand? Obviously, you, you began with cookbooks, but um, mm -hmm. when, when did you expand to, to other things? And how do you do that? So it, it, trial and error, really. I mean, we tried a lot of different things just to see if it would stick. We the things There were things that kind of worked, but not quite. There were things we tried that people liked parts of, but it still wasn't that sticky. So we, we took what we had done. We went back to the drawing board. We tweaked. We kind of tried something else. And we were in this kind of experimental mode for a good like year and a half, I would say. And that was the time that we weren't really making any money at all. We were kind of scraping by. We were, um, Luann, my girlfriend and, and partner was business partner was taking consulting jobs on the side so that she could kind of fund this, this time we moved to Arizona where it was really fucking cheap to live so that we could really live minimally while we were working on our business. So we just, we tried and failed a bunch of times and just kept doing that. And we're open to that. 
<laughs> and, and knew that if we just kept trying and failing, we were going to get somewhere. And, and we knew it. We always knew that we would. But we knew it was going to take a, take a minute to figure out what that was. Um, you know, how are we going to solve a problem for people that we could put out on a consistent basis that we could also get paid? We didn't get profitable until, I want to say, 2015 that, that we started to see some traction. So we played with different price points and different programs and live trainings and um, recipe books. We just did a whole gamut of things. But what we found, so there's two things that we do that, that make us money now. And after years of figuring it out, we run a five-week plant-based reset once a year. So it's a live program. And People, you know, sign up once a year. It, it's not like something that's evergreen, meaning it doesn't sell all the mm -hmm. time. It, we just, oh, it's an open and closed enrollment. So we run that, I believe, three times now. And it's done very well all, all three times. And it keeps growing. It's five weeks and people can join us, whether they eat shitty or just want to, you know, kind of like shape things up or just kind of do a reset after the new year and the holidays. So we always run that and that's done great for us. And then we also do weekly um, meal plans. And that's been really great, too. Um, but also but even that took a while to grow momentum because at the very beginning, I wasn't that good. I got better the more I did it. And so it wasn't until I really you know, was like, okay, this is something that has traction. So I need to put a lot of energy into this because this is something that will pay off. And so again, practice makes perfect. So put a lot of energy into making them really fucking good and then starting to promote them in the private Facebook group and in my emails once they were to a point where I felt really good about them. Yeah. And this is something that I find really important. The way you're describing it is that even though this is basically a almost solo venture it's you and, and Luann is are there any other partners or anyone else working with you so we have only recently brought on a couple people to help us because we got to the point where we're like we can't do it all ourselves anymore and it was just the quality of our life because you think like in the beginning when we were, weren't making any money you think okay well once I have this amount of subscribers or once I'm making this amount of money per month we'll be fine we'll be home free and then you reach that and you're like, well, shit, now I have this whole other set of problems that you don't even realize, you don't even anticipate. So I think for us, we were like, okay, we have these numbers, we are making, you know, this, this amount of money per month now, but we have no life and we're stressed out and we're like arguing and this is not like, and we live in Hawaii, but we can't enjoy it. You know, we can't explore because we don't have any time. So we did end up bringing on a few people. So I have somebody who helps me with the meal plans. So I do the meal plans and then another woman helps me with them. I have a woman who is helping develop recipes. And then we have a part-time kind of virtual assistant admin type of person. Mm -hmm. And then I have somebody who tests our meal plans before they go out. And I have somebody who tests our recipes before they go out. So we have this little team, this very slowly growing team. For what we're doing now, we won't need to hire anybody else. And I want to kind of keep it that way if we expand and, and who knows what the future is going to hold. Um, but for right now, this team is working out really great. Yeah. And what, yeah. what I was going for is that even though it's a personal brand and it could be called small in terms of business, it's going by the same principles that would apply if you were trying to build a billion dollar startup. You try things, you figure out what works, what doesn't work, and then you just iterate. Yeah, that's it. You iterate, you tweak, you try it again, you come back to the drawing board. And that process is really frustrating because you work so hard 
for no money at all. And so you have to be passionate. You have to love what you're doing because there's so much sweat equity that goes into that. That if you don't love what you're doing, you're going to get burnt out and you're going to be so bitter and resentful and you're going to hate it. I had to be passionate about this or else I would have quit a long time ago because that iteration kind of incubation period, um, it's tough. It's really tough because you are working your ass off for like no return. Um, and you know, you don't have a lot of people who are paying attention to you or who are listening to you. Nobody knows who you are. Um, and you just have to keep going. That can be tough, but I'm a firm believer that if you, if you have something good to offer and you're doing good work, you will make it happen. You just need to hang in there with it. Now, speaking of good work, tell me more about these plant-fueled meal plans that you have. Like, how does that look for your subscribers? Because that's a paid product, right? So it's a weekly meal plan and it comes out every single Friday, a new plan. And it's $20 a month. So it's like $5 a week and people can join and then cancel at any time. We don't have any minimum requirements to fulfill or anything like that. And then we have like a virtual classroom that people will log into once they join and they can download their meal plan every single Friday. And it's just a really simple setup. We have the meal plan, the, the classroom has like weekly notes and tips and then their their meal plan which is just a pdf it has um everything organized for them so it kind of shows them you know the week ahead and then it has like a grocery list with really detailed instructions on what to buy and how much for the whole week and then it has the recipes that they cook all on their batching day so that's the one day a week that they set aside to cook oh, okay. you know the majority of their food that they'll have throughout the week so I provide all those recipes for their batch cooking day. There's usually about seven of them, and it usually takes about two to four hours, depending on how quick you are in the kitchen or how much experience you have in the kitchen. And then throughout the week, there's recipes and instructions on how to put all that food together that you cooked in ways that are really diverse and interesting and yummy and in ways that don't get boring um, kind of throughout the week for lunches and dinners. So it's kind of a blueprint on how to eat, you know, every week and it's, it's different recipes, different meal plans every week. So people stay interested and they look forward to what they're going to get and they look forward to cooking new things and not getting in a food rut and not eating the same 10 things over and over again. So that's what it is. And it, it, it sounds pretty simple, but to get it to the point where it is now, it took a long time to figure out exactly the best way to present that and the tools to use and everything else. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm, I'm a fan of batching as well, to be mm -hmm. honest, but there is an art to it, like how to do it so it doesn't get boring and how to do it so it doesn't take too much time to prepare. Yes. Making these meal plans, that is one thing that you have to keep in mind. Like you don't want to have people be in their kitchen for eight hours a day and you also want it to stay interesting. So, you know, we don't want people to do garbanzo beans every single week or quinoa every single week or this every single week. So it's it's really important to, to try different things, uh, not only so that people will stay interested in the food and not get bored, but also for nutritional diversity. So that they're getting like a very broad, you know, wide range of vitamins mm -hmm. and minerals and antioxidants and stuff like that. Where did you study? I mean, because I think I saw that on, on your website. I took a course um, in plant-based nutrition from the, from E Cornell, uh, that's hooked up with the T Colin Campbell foundation. It's like an online plant-based nutrition course. Yeah. But I'm not a certified nutritionist or dietitian. That's a pretty extensive one. I mean, the, the Cornell. Yeah. 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 It was a great program and I really, I enjoyed it and, and learned a lot from it, but I am not a registered dietitian or nutritionist. I just focus on a lot of different whole plant foods. 
Yeah, which I think that's really the, the important bit, especially if we're talking about the plant-based diet, mm-hmm. to really have the, the background in, and the training in, in that. Yeah, I think, though, that a lot of people overcomplicate it. And I think that that's one of the reasons why I, people think that they need to be told exactly what to eat and the, the calories and the ratios to macronutrient ratios and all of this. And in reality, it's not that complicated. You know, I mean, you, you have to eat a really wide range of whole plant foods and make sure you're not getting too much of things and not and make sure you're getting enough of other things. And so it's in general, again, like we were talking about in the beginning, people tend to overcomplicate most things. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, talking about beginnings, I have a question about your entire business journey. If you had to do it all over again, mm-hmm. what things would you do the same and what would you do differently? Hmm. That's a tough question because I, I hardly ever go back and think, hmm, shoulda, woulda, coulda, didn't. <laughs> I'm always like looking in the, you know, to, to what's next, but I, I think I would pretty much do it the same because ultimately I'm really happy with where I am now. And so I know that I had to go through the shit that I went through to get to this point. And so I think I wouldn't change much. There would have been th- personal things in my life that I would have changed. But as far as the business goes, I think everything was kind of done in perfect time. That's a pretty good answer. I mean, it's it's obviously working for you. Yeah, I think so. And there were there were definitely lessons that I needed to learn and, and things that I needed to try. And um, you're going to run into shit in the beginning. There's no way around that. But I can't say that there's one thing that I did that I'm like, God, I wish I have done that. I, I think it's, you know, it's really important to get a really good accountant and like tax person on board. To find a person like that it can be tricky, especially in the online world, because there might be things because, you know, most traditional accountant type people work with like brick and mortar businesses. And because we're online, there's things that our, our brick and mortar accountant guy didn't really know. So finding I probably would have found a really good accountant and tax person before I did. But, you know, little things like that. But I, I, I can't say that that, you know, would have made a huge difference on, on the overall product and what it is now. I'm happy with the way that things have gone. Did you ever experience any moments where you just felt like there was nothing going on, nothing was moving, and you just felt like you, you wanted to throw the towel in and, and run away? Oh, yeah. Like on a daily basis in the beginning when we were doing iterations and tweakings and figuring out what what's going to work and what's going to not. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there were so many times that we're like, you know, should we just go get jobs again? What are we doing? So I, I questioned it you know, a lot, but there was always this little, you know, this little voice and my gut instinct was always just said, like, just keep going, just keep going, be patient. So I I always just listened to that. And I will say too, I think that during the times that I did feel like almost giving up or on the brink of just shutting this whole thing down, it's when I wasn't taking care of myself as well as I could have been. Mm -hmm. And so that affected my whole mindset. So it wasn't even necessarily business. It was more like me. And so once I kind of started to make some tweaks in my own life and and kind of what I was doing, that's when kind of when I got grounded and when I found some peace with certain things, like that's when all of a sudden I didn't really feel that anymore. 
and it was all just kind of a projection, right? Because that's what we do. <laughs> we project. And, and so I think the most important thing to do is not to beat the business up or to lose faith in the business, but you got to look at yourself and be like, okay, what can I do with myself right now to kind of be in a better space, whether that's eating better or exercising more, or getting more sleep or cutting down on drinking or, you know, whatever it is. Um, how can you look at yourself and get in a place that's just healthier overall? Because your whole outlook will be different once that happens. What was it that worked for you to to get you grounded? Because I know, like, if I share mine, I know that if I don't get enough sleep, mm-hmm. I'm really heavily inclined not to because I spent the first 20 years of my life not getting enough sleep and getting into that pattern. But I know that now, mm-hmm. if I don't, then my whole work productivity, it all just goes down the drain. So that was it for me. What what was it for you? Well, I I abused alcohol for many, many years from a pretty young age. And so for me, I had to quit drinking and quit drinking 100%, not like cut down or I had to just say, okay, this is it. Like this, I'm just not going to drink. Like that's just not an option for me anymore. As soon as that happens, then, and this is, a common thing. Once you change that one kind of thing, that's very obvious Mm -hmm. that needs to be changed. All of a sudden, other things in your life are changing for the better. All of a sudden, okay, so because I'm not drinking, okay, well, I'm getting better sleep. And because I'm getting better sleep, I'm feeling more energized. So I'm more motivated to go do yoga. And because I'm doing yoga, I'm feeling even, you know, so it's just this whole domino effect. For me, it was drinking. For you, it was sleep. I think that everybody has that thing that they're like, yeah, I know I can get my shit together, but like, I know I can do better than this. For me, it was actually drinking as well, but it was so far back that I wasn't even in this space yet. So I actually, I first had to stop drinking to then get to the point where I realized that, hey, I can actually sleep more and be more productive. Yeah. It's so all connected, isn't it? And when you're in that space of drinking, you're thinking, okay, well, I had a really shitty day. So I'm going to drink because it feels good, but it just perpetuates the bullshit and it just makes it worse. And you know, whatever that is. And you could insert drinking with eating shitty food too. I mean, it's so easy to, to slip into those addictions and those patterns and those things that we're trying to soothe. And I think this goes back to what we were talking about, about, you know, being really honest about, life is kind of shitty and being able to share that experience of like life isn't always happy and life isn't always good. We shouldn't always constantly be soothed or numb. You know, it's, it's very beneficial and therapeutic to sit with that discomfort and with that, um, kind of uncomfortable, what, whatever it is, whatever it is that we're going through that's uncomfortable, it's important to sit with that and, and have that be okay and be there because that's part of being human. But because we're always trying to distract from that and feel good all the time, we reach for things that are going to numb us out. And so taking a step back and realizing like, okay, sometimes life is just shit and it won't look like this tomorrow. It'll change. Impermanence is our reality. It's not just an idea that we are living in an impermanent world that always changes. And so when you kind of sit with that bullshit, you have to know that, okay, it's bullshit right now, but this will change. It's going to look different in a half an hour if I can sit with it, you know, and and get through it. So anyways, that was a long, I don't know, I'm done now. (laughs) But (laughs) that was was a long like tangent, but you know what I'm saying. I I know what you're saying. And I was just thinking that when you become, when you get to the point where you can be so honest with yourself, that's when you can really start reaching people and showing them this path as well. Yeah, because I think that a lot of people go through this, you know, and they they relate 
to it because we, again, we all have imperfections. And so that if people can see a glimpse of themselves in you and you're saying, wow, here I am, it's not perfect, but this is me and I'm telling my truth. And if people can see themselves in that, man, it almost doesn't matter what you're selling or what you're offering. People are going to want to be a part of that and be around that because it's going to inspire them. Yeah, that that's a really important thing to remember. Now, we're almost at the end now. But if we go from imperfect to to perfect, if we allow ourselves that, what's your perfect best case scenario of the future? Not just in terms of the work that you're doing, but the future of the planet. I, I want to strive to live in a world where I'm not needed and clean food, dirty girl. There's absolutely no need for me. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. I mean, I, I want to live in a world where um, people take care of their body with the food they eat and they don't need medication. They don't need to relearn how to feed themselves. So I, I would like to, to be able to say that I have no business. I have none because people are eating fucking amazing. And so I no longer need to, to, to teach them. I guess that's putting myself out of business. But at that point, I guess I could write a book or something and I'd be okay. <laughs> putting yourself out of business for all the right reasons. So I, yeah, I think yeah. that's a good one. <laughs> awesome. Molly, now I know that there's probably a lot of people out there wondering how they can learn more about you. So what, what's the best way for, for them to get in touch and get on your email list for the Saturday fuckeries or just follow you on, on social media? Yes. Yeah, so if you go to my website, cleanfooddirtygirl.com. That's no hyphens, right? Just no hyphens, together. just straight up clean food, dirty girl, just as it sounds, .com. You'll see uh, links to my Instagram and uh, the Facebook link on my homepage at the bottom will bring you directly to the private Facebook group that you can join. So you need to request to join and then we'll let you in. Which is the one where all the action is. Yeah, exactly. And then you can sign up for my emails on my website as well. And you can look at my blogs with hundreds of recipes and inspiration and, and stuff like that. So everything is there on the website. Awesome. Hey, Molly, I, I really enjoyed talking to you. Yeah, this has been great, Jerry. Thank you. Thank you for this insight in, into your business. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you for having me. I hope you don't put yourself out of business too soon just yet. <laughs> Based, based on the numbers and based on the people out there, I, unfortunately, um, there's a lot of uh, job security for me right now, uh, fortunately or unfortunately. Um, but I, I think I'm always going to be doing something. And who knows, I, I might not be doing the same exact thing that I'm doing right now in two years, but I'll be doing something something different. So I'll definitely be around. <laughs> Keep it up. <laughs> All right. Thanks Great. so much. Thank you. Have a nice day. Okay. You Bye. too. Bye. Okay, that was Molly, the face and voice of Clean Food Dirty Girl. And I think one of the biggest takeaways from this episode was that no matter what size business you are starting, a lot of things are going to be just as relevant in a startup that's trying to raise millions or if you're just looking to build a personal brand online and live the lifestyle you want. In both cases, you improve your chances of success a lot if you approach the whole process as trial and error and build your products, and then see what works and what doesn't, and then you keep on building on that. And in both cases, there are going to be challenges and struggles. And you know, that's why I like that we also touched on the importance of taking care of yourself and not just focusing on the grind. Because whatever you create can only be as good as the person creating it. And if you're operating at 60% capacity because you've been sleeping for five or six hours per night, well, guess what? It's going to show. 
So keep that in mind with whatever you're working on right now. Now for everything else that we talked about with Molly today and for the links to her site, you can check the show notes that we prepare for you if you go to the episode page at theplanbasedentrepreneur.com forward slash show forward slash episode 029. And since we talked about word of mouth today, if you know anyone who'd enjoy the topics that we cover with my guests on the Plan Based Entrepreneur Show, I'd really appreciate it if you send them this way and share this podcast with them. Now, this will be all for today. If you have any questions or comments about the show or plan-based business in general, you can always reach me by email on jerry at theplanbasedentrepreneur.com and make sure you tune in next week because remember that big announcement I told you about in the previous episode? It's coming May 31st, so don't miss it. Until then, stay amazing and remember, the future is plan-based. Plan-based.